Welcome to the Faith for My Generation podcast, where our vision is to shake and shape a generation with the power of God's Word. We're on one mission, to raise up a generation of powerful believers through the relevant teaching of God's Word. I'm so thankful that you're here today. I'm your host, AJ. Let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Faith for My Generation podcast. I'm your host, AJ. Hey, I'm so glad that you're listening today. This is part two of a two-part series, What to Do When Faith Seems Weak and Victory Loss. Part two of What to Do When Faith Seems Weak and Victory Lost. If you didn't catch the first part, I would highly advise you to go back and listen to that. Uh, you don't have to listen them to them in order. It's not necessarily like step one must take place before step two, but rather 10 different actionable steps that we've talked about that we're looking at what Scripture says. 10 different things that we find in Scripture that show us what to do in order to stay in faith, in order to see the power of God and the promises of God come to pass in our life. And so as I mentioned, the title is What to Do When Faith Seems weak and victory lost. Notice, seems weak, not is weak. Uh, Sometimes we can get caught up in emotions or feelings. Emotions and feelings never should dictate what we believe. Never allow what you feel or what maybe some unrenewed thoughts that cross your mind or temptations that Satan flashes across your mind. Never allow those things which are not true to dictate what you believe. Stay in faith. Continue to stay in faith. So as I mentioned, this is part two. We're going to pick up uh, with part two today, and we're going to cover five more points. I was so surprised that I actually got five points finished in the last episode, because sometimes I can be a little long-winded. But nonetheless, we're going to do the second half of this, the second point, six through ten, on what to do when faith seems weak, and victory lost. Our key scripture is James chapter 1, verse 2, 3, and 4. And I'm going to read that. This is our key scripture that we're building off of. James 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete lacking nothing. Let me read that again. Verse 2, James 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Uh, That's in the New King James. In the King James Version, it mentions instead of testings, Instead of trials, it, meant, uh, it uses the words temptations. There is a trying of the faith. There are temptations that take place. And as a Christian, as a believer, you're going to experience temptations. You're going to experience trials. You're going to experience testings. But we covered and we, we made plain by Scripture of what the Bible says, that the source of opposition is not our God. The source of opposition, the source of opposition to your faith is not the Lord. Think about it. It just doesn't work logically. Why would God tell you to have faith in Him and then try to oppose you? Or, I guess this is just a test from God. It's not. We live in a world that is fallen and dead in sin. 
And in order for you to live by faith, you will live contrary to the mindset of this world. If you're going to live by faith, if you're going to live according to the Word of God, you're going to live in opposition to the spirit of this world. 1 John 4 tells us that the spirit of error, the spirit of Antichrist, has been from the beginning and is in the earth, and he constantly, Satan, is seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. We established that. So never allow that thought to come into your mind. Well, I guess this is just something that God's doing to, to test me. Tests, trials, temptations are simply the outworking of a sinful nature that is in the earth, the spirit of error that is in the earth. Rather, what you should know and what you should feel in your heart of your hearts by faith is, if there's a test, if there's a trial, if there's a temptation, this is just an opportunity to see the power of God come to pass in my life. Be joyful, verse 2. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. Be joyful when there's a test, when there's a trial, when temptation comes. Because it's just an opportunity for you to see the promises of God and the power of God manifested in your life. Don't get downcast. Don't get worried Don't become depressed. Oh, woe is me. I guess God's just got it out for me. No. If God be for us, who can be against us? That's what the Bible says. If God be for us, who can be against us? And so it's this simple. When you're going to stand in faith, when you're going to stand on the promises of God, there's going to be pushback. Matthew 11, verse 12, a shout out to Renegade. Remnant Brigade here, my my brand new shirt, Take It By Force, Remnant Brigade. Go check them out. Remnant Brigade. Matthew 11, 12. This t-shirt's based on Matthew 11, 12. And And the Bible says, from the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven is suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. The violent take it by force. You know, I'm a pastor here at Gospel Tabernacle Church in Lawrence, South Carolina. A lot of the podcast family, you may have heard that before. Everyone that's watching on TikTok, hey, I'm so thankful that you're watching. Uh, But you can come check me out on the link tree. I've got a podcast that I'm recording right now, this episode, just so you know. And come find the podcast. I'd love to have you join and be a part. And follow the channel for more uh, podcast recordings and uh, Bible teaching. But I, I'm a pastor here at Gospel Tabernacle in Lawrence, South Carolina, and I have a burning passion and desire to see my county shaken by the power of God. Guess what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to ask the world or people or man if that's okay. Uh, do you mind if we have a great awakening by the power of God? Do you mind if, if we teach the Word of God with truth? and refuse to compromise to the spirit of Antichrist and the spirit of error that's in the earth? Do you mind if we make a bold stand and proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? No, I'm not going to ask that question. God has given me a mandate, and you as a Christian, God has given you a mandate. God has given you a calling. God has birthed something on the inside of you that's going to be a blessing to the world, that's going to bring people to Christ, that's going to glorify God. And you don't need to ask permission from the world, from Satan, or from people who have no understanding of God. Is it okay if I you know, bring about this thing that God wants in the earth that, he, that He's called me to do? 
No, you take it by force. And, and, and so understand, if you're going to take it by force, if the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, what's this simple? There's going to be pushback and opposition. There's going to be some warfare. Now notice, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 6, we do not war against flesh and blood, but against spiritual principalities and powers and demonic entities in the high places. We war against, it's a spiritual warfare. It is a spiritual warfare that we war against. And so that means our, the weapons of our warfare, 2 Corinthians 10, they are not carnal. In other words, they're not flesh and blood. But they're spiritual, and they're mighty, and they pull down the strongholds. And I want to get in ahead of myself because that's actually one of our key verses. So here we go. This is number six. What to do when faith seems weak and victory lost. We, we're in James 1, verse. we read 2, 3, and 4, but I want to go to verse 6. Notice this. What do you do when faith seems weak or victory lost? You ask God in faith, nothing wavering, and you believe that what you've asked of God is yours. Now, why do I say that? Why do I make that point? James 1 verse 6 says this, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. What do you do when your faith seems or feels weak? Not that it is, but feelings can sometimes betray us. Or it looks like by the natural eye, victory is lost. What do you do? You ask God in faith. You stick your feet. Your, you, you grind in your feet into the ground. You plant yourself on the promises of God. And you refuse to doubt. If you're going to see the Word of God and the promises of God come to pass in your life, you must refuse to doubt the promise of God. If God says it's yours, it's yours. If God says it's yours, you receive it by faith and you refuse to allow any physical or natural thought, idea, feeling to betray your faith or your confidence in God. Verse 6, let him ask in faith with no Doubting. Doubt is the thief of God's blessings. Doubt is the thief of God's blessings. For he who doubts, James 1.6, is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. What does the waves of the sea do? They come in and they go out. And they come in and they go out. And everything on the seashore, the sandy, the sandy shore there, gets washed up and washed out. And nothing is stable. And those, those waves, those seas just keep coming in, coming out, washing, washing in, and washing in, washing out. Verse 7, For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. So the opposite is this. Let him ask in faith 
And if he doesn't doubt, he's not like the wave of a sea driven and tossed of the wind. And let him suppose he will receive everything from the Lord because he is not a double-minded man and he is stable in all his ways. All I did was read the, all I did was read it in the complete opposite of what a doubtful man is. See, when you stand in faith, you're going to ask of God refusing to doubt and you will receive what you've asked of God in faith. Faith does not waver. Faith does not move like the waves of the ocean. Faith is sure. Faith in God is a place of stability. It's a place of being stabilized. When you have faith in God, you're not, you're not going in and out. You're not being driven back and forth by winds of all these winds of ungodly doctrines and, and winds of uh, unscriptural thoughts and winds of the opinion of man. Doubting, being divided in your heart by unbelief, being partial in your thinking, that, that steals, that robs you of the blessings of God. Mark 11, verse 22, Jesus said it this way, And Jesus answering them said unto them, Have faith in God. Notice that. Have faith in God. Actually, probably better translated is, Have the faith of God. Mark eleven twenty two. And, and, and oftentimes in study Bibles, reference Bibles, it'll have like in the center column in my Bible, it'll have like a, an alternate translation that might be a little bit truer. And one of those in the alternate could possibly also be translated, have the God kind of faith. Have the faith of God. Have faith in God. It's all the same, but I like that phrasing, have the God kind of faith. Well, what is the God kind of faith? Verse 23. Jesus says, For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he says shall come to pass, he shall have whatever he says. So what is the God kind of faith? The God kind of faith is being so certain of what you believe, it changes you from the inside out. Because this person who's in faith will say to the mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. And that person that believes whatever he says shall come to pass will have whatever he has said. Now, we're not just flippantly saying things here. We're not just talking off the top of our mind, you know, just whatever comes to our minds. But when you repeat the Word of God, this is why it's so necessary to have the Word of God stored up in your heart, to have the Word of God hidden in your heart, so that when you speak, you're speaking God's Word. Jesus said that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your words reveal what you believe. If you get around someone who is full of hate, they may say nice words when you first meet them. They may sound really nice for a little while. But if you hang around them long enough, if there's hate inside of them, it will come out of their mouth. 
the opposite's true. If you're around someone that's kind and loving, that's going to come out in their language. It's going to come out in what they say. And if you have faith in your heart, you're going to say what God says, regardless of whether it's a big old mountain that needs to be cast into the sea or not. It doesn't matter whether it's a little hill or a big mountain. I'm going to confess and stand in faith and repeat God's promises continually because I'm filling myself up with God's word that I know is true. And I refuse to be removed from the promise. I refuse to be to waver, to go back and forth, to, 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 to vacillate between two points. Because I can't receive anything from God if I'm at a place in my life where sometimes I believe and then sometimes I don't. Now, how? okay, so let's practically walk through that. How do I remove doubt from my mind, from my heart? I have to, maybe even for a period of time, overload myself with the truth of God's Word. Anytime there's a contrary thought to God's Word, I'm going to make a choice. I believe the Word of God. I'm not going to believe thoughts, feelings, opinions of people, the news that changes every day, scientific findings that, you know, in five years they find something. Actually, we were, we were actually wrong on that. We, we found something new, a new discovery. All those things are fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But understand man is continually, constantly changing. God, he never changes. He doesn't have to. He's perfect in all his ways. Why would he change? The Bible actually says, because God does not change. For I'm the Lord God, I do not change. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Malachi 3.6. Because God is unchanging and he is faithful, you and I are still here today. And so I'm going to just side with God. If God says, if, if God says, let the weak say that I am strong, as it says in the book of Joel. Let the weak say I am strong. If God says, let the weak say I am strong, even if I feel weak, I'm going to say, in the name of Christ Jesus, I am strong. I am strong in God, in Jesus' name. Let the weak say I am strong. That's a perfect example in the book of Joel. Let the weak say I am strong. Even if I feel weak, Maybe I feel weak in my mind. Maybe I feel weak in my flesh and my health. Maybe I feel weak in making right decisions and overcoming temptation. Let the weak say I am strong. I am strong in Jesus' name. I am strong in Jesus' name. Now, how can I go wrong? Simply saying what God has said about me. And this is, this is great. This is great. Uh, this is just something that came up in my spirit. Let's go to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. There's a man named Gideon. He's out pressing and he's threshing out some, some uh, grapes. He's doing it in hiding because the Midianites, these oppressive people who have come and they have, by military force, taken over Israel. They're oppressing Israel. They've enslaved them. And Gideon, who feels very, very small, who feels very, very defeated, and he's living in a nation that has been defeated. He's trying to press out some grapes because the Midianites, they would come and steal the harvest. And this is what happens. Verse 4, uh, let's see here. Verse 11. 
Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the Terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abezerite. This is Judges 6, verse 11. While his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Notice what the angel of the Lord said to Gideon. The Lord's with you, you mighty man of valor. Verse 13, Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Why have we been defeated in battle? Why have we been enslaved by the Midianites? Why are we here where it's supposed to be the promised land and we're not living in the fullness of it? Why has that happened? Verse 13, he says this, he continues, And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Verse 15, So Gideon said to him, the Lord, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. The Lord says to Gideon, Gideon, you are a mighty man of valor and you're going to lead your people in victory against the Midianites, these people who have oppressed you and your nation. What does Gideon reply? I'm in the smallest tribe and I'm the smallest person in the smallest tribe. Basically, Lord, I'm a nobody. And what does God say? Nope. You're going to go forth, I'll be with you, and you'll defeat the Midianites. You have to have a change. Faith requires a change in your thinking. Faith requires you to line up with what God's Word says. Even if you might feel like the smallest person in the smallest tribe, God has said, you're a mighty man of valor. You're a mighty woman of valor. See, you cannot any longer allow your past unrenewed thoughts, opinions of people, the the controversy or culture of the day to define who you are. As a Christian, as a believer, I am who God says I am. I can have what God says I have, and I can do what God says I can do because I am in Christ. My life, the life that I live is planted surely, firmly in in the reality of Christ Jesus. And I am what Christ says I am. I am capable of doing what Christ says I can do. And I can have what Christ says I can have, what He has purchased by the blood. And that's how faith operates. It asks of God boldly. Now, the second point for today Going along with this thought of this understanding, you've got to get your thoughts lined up with God's Word. Second point, what do you do when faith seems weak and victory loss? You refuse to tolerate for one moment a thought that is contrary to God's Word. When you find a promise of God and you are standing on the promise of God, You must refuse, you have to refuse to tolerate any thought that is contrary 
to God's word. If God has made you a promise and there is some other opinion of people, there's some other thought out there, there's some temptation or trial that comes along, you must refuse to, for one second, allow that to live in your mind. Now, you might think, well, how is that possible? I can't control what I think. You're the only person who can control what you think. And the Bible shows us. I appreciate it, Draxler. Thanks for watching, buddy. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting at verse 3. Thankful for everyone watching here on TikTok. Podcast family, if you want to come find me, I'm on Instagram and TikTok. Sometimes I do live streams of this, as I mentioned in the last episode, and every now and then. So you can come find me out there. All the, all the info's on the uh, podcast page. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, being ready to punish all disobedience when our obedience is fulfilled. You have the power, the God-given ability to control your thoughts. This idea that I can't control what I think about is a lie from the devil. It is a deception and it's a lie. You can control what you think. Now notice, you may not control what temptations, because temptations are an external reality. Satan is always seeking whom he may devour, 1 Peter 5, 8. And so he's throwing out temptations. He's seeing what's going to stick. I like to think of it this way. It's like Satan has a flip book. Okay, will this work? Will pornography work? Nah, that won't work. Let's keep going. Uh, will, you know, will lies and deceits work? Okay, that didn't work. Let's keep going. Will sickness and uh, disease work? Nope, that won't work. Let's keep going. Will poverty and lack? He just keeps throwing out. He's throwing out to see what will stick. What lie can he throw to you? What deception can he throw out and see if it will stick? Um, you know, my, my children will never serve God. What, I mean, what, what, what will he keep throwing out? Uh, you'll never amount to anything. You'll never be successful. Your church will never grow. What can he throw out? He's just seeing what will stick because they're all lies. And so as a Christian, as a believer, I have to make a choice. I will not meditate or think on any thought for one second that is contrary to the word of God. Because verse 5 tells me, I bring down, I cast down, I violently pull down any stronghold. What is a stronghold? A place of resistance. If there is any resistance that Satan has tried to set up, whether it be by unrenewed thoughts in your mind, uh, feelings that you need to get your heart clean of, any kind of resistance, if there's some form of resistance, we pull it down by the power of God. We, we bring down every argument. Notice that. Argument and knowledge. Cast down arguments and anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So it's a warfare of knowledge here. 2 Corinthians 10 is talking about a warfare of knowledge. 
Because you can only have faith for what you believe. Excuse me, you can only have faith for what you know. You can only have faith for what you know. You can only believe what you know. Is it Habakkuk that said, By the Spirit of the Lord, my people perish for a lack of knowledge? Your faith is based on what you know. You can't just believe about something that you have no idea of. This is why in Ephesians 1, the Apostle Paul, he's praying one of the most powerful prayers in the entire New Testament. And he's praying for the church of Ephesus and every believer. I pray that the spirit of wisdom and understanding would enlighten the eyes of your understanding and the knowledge of God. In fact, let me, instead of trying to just halfway paraphrase it by memory, let me read it. I'm in 2 Corinthians, but let me turn to Ephesians 1. Think about this. It's a, it's a warfare of knowledge. Ephesians 1, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. One translation says that the eyes of your heart could see clearly. So what is, what is Paul praying here by the Spirit of the Lord? What is God's desire? That we understand, that we see, that we know. And so this is why I cannot allow any opposing views or thoughts in my mind. Well, you need to be a little bit more open-minded. No, I don't. I don't need to be open-minded. I need to be Bible-minded. I need to be Christ-minded. And if it doesn't line up with the Word of God, if it does not come in alignment and run with the Word of God, if it does not exalt Christ, if it does not agree with the knowledge that I have of God according to His Word, I don't want it nor allow it in my mind. We take every thought captive. Uh, the, of course, the New Testament was written in Cornea Greek, street language Greek. And this idea of taking every thought captive, it literally is, it, it, the visual is a Roman centurion of that day, a Roman centurion standing at, at, on guard at the gate of a city so that if some opposing force tries to get in, he immediately arrests the wrongdoer, stops him from even getting inside, and executes him. You should deal harshly with wrong thoughts. You should be harsh, violent against wrong thinking. You have to be violent against wrong thinking. Because the wrong thought will shipwreck your faith. 1 Corinthians 9 tells us, Paul said, He keeps himself in check, lest after he preaches the gospel, he would, become, he would shipwreck his own faith allowing him his own self to be deceived. And in that context, allowing his body, his flesh to do whatever it wants to do. So you cannot tolerate opposing thoughts to God's word. Do not tolerate it. Do not allow wrong thinking to usurp, upend the truth of God in your mind. Point number three for today. What to do when faith seems weak and victory lost? You need to count the thing that you've asked of God as it's finished. Count it done. 
Whatever you have asked of God, even though your faith may seem weak and your victory is lost, even though it may seem like that, feel like that, notice, look, seem like, it has to do with the eyes, what you see, feelings, that's your emotions, which can be, uh, some. we got to bring those emotions into line with God's Word. But think about that. You need to count the thing that you've asked done. I count it done. Even though it may seem like my faith's weak or it may look like the victory's lost, I consider what I've asked of God on the basis of His Word, I consider it done. I consider it done. I consider it done because I know that God is faithful. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 He who has called you is faithful to do it. Matthew 8. This is a great, great, great teaching on faith and the authority that we have as believers that God has given us through Christ Jesus. Matthew chapter 8, there's this centurion. He comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus, he says, Lord, my servant. He's obviously a good man because it's his servant, but he cares for him. And this centurion man comes to Jesus and says, my servant is lying at home sick. He's paralyzed and he's tormented. He knew he's, he's sick. He is oppressed by sickness and illness. And Jesus said, I, I, I will come with you and I'll heal him. Jesus a minute, immediately. Think about this. Jesus, anytime in the Gospels, you will never find a time where someone asked Jesus to heal them. And Jesus said, mm, sorry, not today. No, I'm teaching you something with this. No, I don't think so. Anytime people came to Jesus in faith and asked for healing, they always got it. They always got it. They always got it. Acts 10, 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. So Jesus, when he hears about this sick servant that the centurion tells him about, he said, oh, well, no problem. I'll come with you and I'll heal him. I'll, tr I'll go back to your house and I'll heal your servant. Notice what the centurion says, verse 8, Matthew 8, 8. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. Verse 9, for I'm also a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, assuredly, I say to you, I've not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Verse 13, Jesus said to the centurion, go your way, and as you have believed, as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. As you have believed, let it be done for you. As you have believed, let it be done for you. Now, the point I'm making here is, once you've asked of God concerning the promise of His Word, Lord, I'm believing I receive this by faith. You've promised it. I believe I receive it by faith. You consider it done. Lord, I thank you that it's done. Well, how, how can you do that even though you can't see it, feel it, taste it, touch it, embrace it? Well, we see the, the principle of faith here. Then centurion said to Jesus, speak a word and my servant will be healed. 
And then he goes on to say, look, I'm a man under authority. In other words, I am, I'm under authority. I have superiors above me. He said, but I also have people that are under me. And as a centurion, an officer in the Roman uh, legion, he had people, he said, I command people. I tell them to go, they go. I tell them to come here, they come here. I tell them to do this, they do it. He understood the authority of his position and that he could simply say a word and things would take place. He could simply speak with authority and people would act as a Roman centurion. And this man had such a profound understanding of authority that he saw Jesus and he made the connection. You know what? Just like naturally I have authority and I can say something and people do it, this man, when he speaks, people get healed. When he speaks, demons flee. When he speaks, people are raised from the dead. When he speaks, people are cleansed of leprosy. When he speaks, people get changed. When he speaks, joy comes up in my heart. He noticed the connection. Just like my words carry authority with men, Jesus' words carry authority in the Spirit. And so he said, Lord, I know how this works. There's a couple things going on here. The centurion understood, I'm not a Jew. It's not legal by Old Testament law for you even to come to my house. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Now notice what's so good about this. Psalms 1, there's two passages in Psalms I want you to, to hear. Psalms 119, verse 89. Psalms 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your word is settled in heaven. And notice this, Psalms 107, verse 20. Psalms 107, verse 20. The Bible says, He sent His Word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Notice that. The Word of God is settled in heaven. Now, what do we pray as Christians? What did Jesus teach us to pray in Matthew 6? what is often called the Lord's Prayer, which is actually the disciples' prayer because the disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. So how should we pray? Well, Jesus said, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As it is in heaven. Well, Psalms 119.89 says that the word of God is forever settled in heaven. The will of God is established in heaven. And we are praying and believing and by faith pulling down spiritual strongholds and warring against demonic principalities to see the influence and will of heaven manifested on the earth. That's what we're praying. As Christians, you're part of a military, expeditionary invasion force. And we are invading an earth that is covered and dead in sin. And we are speaking the word of God, proclaiming the gospel of Christ so that we might win people to Jesus and steal them out of the depths of hell and steal them, rip them from the hands of Satan so that they can inhabit heaven, so that they can be children of God. We have a mission to fill heaven in empty hell. 
Now notice verse uh, Psalms 107.20, he sent his word and healed them. That is a fulfillment of what took place in Matthew 8. Jesus said, go your way and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. You think that I can say a word and your servant will be healed? You'll get it just like you believe it. And this is why you have to count it done. Count it finished. Just as Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Count it finished. If God has spoken in his word. Now, some people might say, oh, I just wish Jesus would come down from heaven. And he would say to me, you know, your servant is healed or you are healed or you are provided for or, or the thing you're believing God for, um, a peace in your heart, these things you're believing God for. Oh, I just wish Jesus would come and say that to me. He already has. He already has. 66 books of his word, 1,189 chapters of his word. Oh, that's the Bible. Mm. If it's just the Bible to you, you won't receive from it. But once you believe that it is the inerrant, without error, inspired, God-breathed word of God, then it takes on a new place in your life. And you realize this is the word of God. And he has sent his word to me and healed me and delivered me from my destructions. I've been delivered because he sent his word. I have been healed because he has sent his word. And I know that he doesn't love that centurion servant any more than he loves me. If he sent his word to that servant and the servant was healed, he has sent his word to me and I receive healing. And I count it done. I count it finished. I consider it done. That's marvelous faith. Jesus marveled. You want to impress God? Simply take him at his word. You want to impress God? You want to make the Lord marvel? Simply take him at his word. Just make a choice. I'm going to believe what God has said. I'm just going to believe what God said. If God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Now in that same vein, that same understanding, if I count it, Finished. If I count it done, I count it complete on the basis of what God has said, there's two things we're going to do after that. What to do when faith seems weak and victory lost? Point four for today, nine total. We're going to give God glory even before you receive what you've asked for. Make a choice to give God glory even if you've not physically received what you've believed God for, you're in the process of faith. You're standing in faith right now. You've maybe let's say let's say it's healing. I'm believing for physical healing, divine healing in my body. I've yet to see the physical manifestation of it, but I consider it already done because Jesus paid the price for my healing. 1 Peter 2:24. By his stripes we were, past tense, healed. So I, on the basis of his word, I consider my healing done. Okay, what do you do before you even see the, before you see the physical manifestation of it? Because there there's going to be sometimes a lag between your faith knowing it and considering it done and the physical manifestation of it. 
it taking place in your body. What do you do? You're going to make two choices here. One, you're going to give God glory and praise, even though you may not have physically received it yet. Well, why would I say that? If you go to Second Chronicles chapter 20, you, you read about the righteous king Jehoshaphat. He was a good king of Judah. And this great, great army comes out, the children of Ammon, Moab, and Seir. Three nations come against him and Judah. And Jehoshaphat goes before the Lord and said, Lord, are you not God in heaven? Have you not brought us out of Egypt? Have you not established as a people? Do you not have power and might? Do you not rule over all the nations? And of course, it was all a... Uh, all uh, He was asking questions he already knew the answer to, right? He had already asked. He was asking questions that he already knew the answer to. Of course, it's a redundancy, really. He's saying, "Lord, I know that you are the God of Israel. You're the God that have established us." Rhetorical question. That's that word I was trying to think of. It was rhetorical questions. He knew the answer to them. And then so he says, "Look, Lord, we're your people, and these three nations they have come out against us." They've come to hurt and harm us. They've come to enslave us, to fight us in battle and defeat us. We're small, but we're serving you, Lord, and we believe your promises. We believe that you are the God of Israel. You are our God. You will protect us. You have given us this promised land. You have given this land to our father Abraham, and it's ours as well. And so he says, so... Lord, you see their threats. You see what they're, what they're trying to do. You see the armies that are coming up against our border that are getting ready to attack us. And so we're, we're just yielding to your mercy, Lord. What would you have us do? We need your help. And the, the Spirit of the Lord comes on Jehaziel, a prophet, and he tells Jehoshaphat and the entire uh, kingdom of Judah what they're to do. And what the Lord tells them to do is to go forth in battle. And notice this, 2 Chronicles 20, 21. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord. God says, you're going to go into battle, Jehoshaphat. But instead of leading the armies with the soldiers like you would any other time you go into battle, he said, I want you to send all the praise and worshipers, the singers who had a job to worship God continually in the temple. You put them on the front lines. Put the singers on the front lines. Appointed singers unto the Lord, verse 21 of Second Chronicles 20, and that they should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and say, and to say, praise the Lord for His mercy endures forever. God gives them an answer. What should we do, Lord? Jehoshaphat asked. The Lord says, go forth in battle. Go with the armies of Judah. But on the front lines, put the praise and worshipers on the front lines. Put the people who have been appointed to sing worship in the temple, put them on the front lines. Let them lead the battle. Let the worshipers Lead the battle, singing, praise the Lord for His mercy endures forever. Go forth in worship. Go forth in praise. Let's be honest. That sounds like a suicide mission. Go attack these opposing armies, but the people on the very front lines, the people that they will encounter first, 
It's the worship team. <laughs> it's the worship team. And as a Christian, you have to go forth knowing that the battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. And God said that through the spirit, uh, through, the, uh, through the prophet Jehaziel. He said that. I actually just read this. Verse 15, for the battle is not yours, but God's. When you go forth in battle, when you're believing God, when you're standing on the promise of his word, you understand it's not your fight. It's God's. I'm simply locking arms with the Lord. I'm on God's side. And if God be for me, who can be against me? Right? If God is with me, who can be against me? For the battle is not yours, but God's. So he said, put the worshipers on the front line. Now notice what happens. This is amazing. What happens, you, you ask? Verse 22, Second Chronicles 20, 22. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. And they were smitten. They were defeated. They were defeated. The Lord set ambushments. It literally, they actually turn on one another. In verse 23, Moab and Ammon and Sierra, uh, when they, they're starting to be destroyed and killed, they turn and destroy one another. They helped to destroy one another. The enemies that came against the people of God end up and they ended up fighting one another. But the key here is they went forth, they obeyed the word of the Lord, which was to go forth and worship and praise. The children of Judah didn't have to lift a hand to win this battle. They simply took the spoil. No one escaped. The Spirit of the Lord brought confusion to the enemy to where the enemies, these three nations, turn on one another. They all kill each other. No one escapes. And then Je Judah and Jehoshaphat, they come and they pick up, they strip off all the wealth and riches off these slain armies, of these slain soldiers. So what was the end result? They got the victory, and they got the spoil of the war without having to fight. You know, the Bible tells us in the New Testament that we are more than conquerors. Have you ever asked yourself, what does that mean to be more than a conqueror? How can you be more than a conqueror? Well, it's very simple. You receive the benefits of being a conqueror without actually have to, having to do the fighting. Romans 8.37, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. How are you more than a conqueror? You receive the benefits of conquering, of winning, without, have, without having to do the fighting. You just get, you get the benefits of fighting the war without fighting the war. You get the benefits and the spoils of winning the war, but you never had to fight the war. And that's what took place in 2 Chronicles 20 with the people of Israel. And that's how faith works. It's not my battle. It's God's battle. I'm just going to praise and give God the glory 
What does that really look like? Lord, I thank you. I consider it done. I consider the healing in my body done. And I thank you that you're my healer. Provision. Here we are with all this craziness of inflation and gas prices going up. Lord, you're Jehovah Jireh. You are the Lord God, my provider. You're El Shaddai, the God that is more than enough. I thank you, Lord, that as I'm a good employee or a good employer, as I, as I work and do what you've called me to do, as I obey your will, as I, as I tithe and give, as I, as I bless the kingdom of God, and, and, and as I make a purpose to, to sow seed, to see the gospel pro- proclaimed throughout the world, Lord, I thank you that I'll never be in lack. I thank you that I'll always have provision. You just begin to worship God. You begin to praise God. You can't praise God in doubt. By the nature of praise, it's required. Faith is required to praise God. You can't praise God and be doubtful. Because praise and worship is declaring that God is who He says He is. So you give God the glory before you see any physical change, before your emotions catch up, before you feel anything, you give God the glory because you consider it done. Last one. Point number five for today. Point number 10 in total. Again, this was part two of what, when, what to do when faith seems weak and victory lost. Last one. You act as if you have received what you've asked of God. You act as as if you have received what you have asked of God. You change the way you way you're at you change your actions. Well, if God says, if God says I'm healed, then I'm healed, and I'm gonna act like it. I'm going to begin to do what I couldn't do. I'm going to begin to persevere and do what I couldn't do. If God says I'm strong, I'm gonna be strong. I'm gonna do what strong people do. If God says, I'm joyful, I'm going to smile. I don't feel like smiling. No, the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is your strength. So body, you're going to have to wake up because I've got the strength of God on the inside of me and you might have to practice at it. You might have to show some teeth. Begin to do and act as if you've already received what you've asked of God in faith. Same thing, again, real life stuff here with provision. God's my provider, okay? I'm not going to wait until I make more money. Well, one day I'll believe God and tithe and give offerings and, and give into missions and, and give to the work of evangelism. One day when I make more money. No, God said that I every, every need of mine shall be met, Philippians 4.19, that my God will supply every need that I have. First, uh, Isaiah 55 says that God gives seed to the sower. I'm going to give now because I know I have seed. God's given it to me. And I know every need will be met. Psalms 37, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their sons, their children out begging for bread. So I know I will not go backwards by obeying God, I'm only going to go forwards. Well, what about inflation? You know what? People, people, wicked men who have no understanding of how things work and people trying to scheme and connive and political parties doing this and that, you know what? They can try to mess things up naturally and, 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 and devoid of the wisdom of God. They always will, regardless of whether they're liberal or conservative or whatever name tag they have. 
But regardless of what's taking place naturally, the word of God is what is my is what I stand upon. So I'm going to give now. I'm not going to wait to the uh, you know. Well, uh, you, you just you know, my marriage. If you're married, I, I'm going to love my wife. Maybe you're maybe you're in a rough spot in your marriage. Maybe you're in a place where your marriage doesn't feel happy. You don't feel like you're living out those vows that you made. Okay, start living out those vows that you made at the altar. I'm, I'm going to prefer you above myself, as, as 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13 tells us. I'm going to prefer you above my, I'm going to prefer my wife above myself. I'm going to begin to honor, may, may, I'm going to make sure my actions line up with what, I'm, what I would desire to receive. Hey, Danette, glad you're watching and listening. So I'm going to allow my actions, I'm going to discipline my actions to line up with God's Word. All right, what's the scriptural backing for that? Because again, these aren't just my opinions, these aren't just thoughts. This is what we can see from the scripture, from the Word of God. John 15, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. These things have I spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Notice, if you keep my commandments, I'm going to obey the word of God at all costs. The book of Proverbs says that a righteous man will keep his word even to his own hurt. The King James would say, it's just a version I grew up on. So a lot of times I refer to that language. Sometimes I get it right. Sometimes it's a, it's a meshing of that in, in modern language. But what does that mean? Keep his word even to his own hurt. I'm going to keep my word. If I've said I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it no matter what it costs me to do. That's what a person of integrity does. And as a child of God and as a believer, I'm going to keep the word of God, knowing it's not my strength that does it, but it's God empowering me to do it. What's impossible to keep the word of God? Wait a minute. Philippians 4.13 says uh, that Christ gives us strength to do all things, that all things are possible in him who gives us strength. All things. Let me read it. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can keep the word of God because it's Christ strengthening you to do it. Don't, don't, again, uh, religious thoughts. Well, how many knows we fail God all the time? Why? Why do you fail God all the time? Is it because you're submitting to religious thoughts? Because I don't see in the Bible where it says, and thou shalt fail me time and time again. No, the Spirit of God has made you alive unto Him. You're only alive, as a Christian, you are only alive by the life of Christ. Not a lesser life, not a little, uh, uh, not a, uh, not the wish.com version of, of life, uh, not the off brand, you know, version of life. It's his life in you, it's his life in me. And I'm living by the power of God. I'm living by the truth of God. I'm living by the life of Christ in me. So I'm going to keep the commands. I'm going to keep the Word of God. I'm going to act like what God has said is true by keeping His Word. 
by yielding to his truth. See, I wrote this. In the previous verses, Jesus tells us that we have whatever we ask if we abide in him. You want to have what you've asked of God? You have to live in him. Our abiding in him is living and doing the word of God. My following and living in the commands of God according to his word is my acting as if what I believe for is already received. My action of obedience testifies of my assurance that God has and is doing what he has promised. I'm keeping my end of the deal, plainly put. Because we have a covenant with God. What's a covenant? A covenant is two sides. A promise is one-sided. A covenant is two sides. And as I, ob- as I abide, I don't know why I put an O in abide, abide. As I abide in the Word of God in Him, I'm keeping His Word. And if I'm keeping His Word, I'm living in Him. And if I'm living in Him, I'm keeping His Word. And if I'm keeping His Word, I'm living in Him. And if I'm keeping in His Word and living in Him, I receive what I ask. And my actions testify. Me obeying God testifies that I believe He, he will do what He said He'll do. So fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. When faith seems weak, and victory lost, what do you do? You fight the good fight of faith. First Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. What's a good fight? It's a fight you win. I've been in fights. I've done martial arts training for about oh, a little over 10 years now, done lots of sparring rounds. So, you know, there was padding involved. Wasn't like street fights, wasn't bar fights. Thank God I get <laughs> getting beat up and roughed up. But even in a sparring, you get your not, lights knocked out. What's a good fight? The one you win. How long do you fight? Till you win. Fight the good fight of faith. Hold, press in, hold on, and fight the good fight. Of faith. Hey, I'm so thankful that you've listened to the Faith for My Generation podcast. This finished up this two-part series, What to Do When Faith Seems Weak, Victory Lost. Hey, do me a favor. If you're listening to it, share it some way on your Instagram stories or on Facebook, the link to it. Uh, share it with some friends by word of mouth. If you need to write it on a note, the web address to the podcast and strap it to a pigeon and, and have that carrier pigeon send it off somewhere, do that as well. However you can help me get this message out. I'd greatly appreciate it. And I'm thankful that you've listened. And remember, we are the faithful. See you next time. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of the Faith for My Generation podcast. Remember, every Monday I've got a brand new wake-up call for you. And every Thursday I've got a brand new episode right here on Faith for My Generation podcast. And remember, we are the faithful.